0: All right. As is our tradition, um, we spend this time, is, is my Sunday school class has become discuss the sermon slash ask whatever question you got on your mind stump slash stump the pastor. So let's start with any questions from, and we haven't had ABF for the whole parable of the Good Samaritan, so if you got any questions about that as well, this would be probably a fine time as well. So from this morning or the last two messages, if you have any um, questions, you can raise your... We've got one in the back. Not in the back. we got one. David Olsgard.
1: Hi, thanks. This is a question about geography, kind of. Yes. Um, going back to chapter 9, even, when Jesus yeah. sets his face to go to Jerusalem. Yes. Heads into Samaria. He's rejected from a village there. Yeah. And then I'm trying to figure out, what does he do next? Where does he go next? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm looking for geographical signposts. And I don't find any until chapter 17, unless I missed one. And so several questions come to mind. Yeah. Um, first, maybe through the other Gospels, and I haven't looked at those, do we know kind of what route he takes? Does he actually go through Samaria? Do we know how he goes? Um, I've got several here. Just oh, no. Just okay. Simple. Yes, um, OK, no, no, and, Excellent. Uh, okay right after he gets rejected from this Samaritan village, he wanted to enter very shortly after he sends out the 72. Was that possibly into Samaria to to find villages that would accept him? Um, And then there are these people that came to him, this is going a few sermons back, who came to him, you know, I'll follow wherever you go. And I'm wondering if those two were Samaritans. Some of the Samaritans rejected, but then these Hmm. guys come and said, well, I'll follow you. They rejected you. Do we have any Clue about the geography here, and then in in chapter 17, when I did find that next clue, chapter uh, chapter 17 verse 11, it says he's passing on his way to Jerusalem. He's passing between Samaria and Galilee. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but I find no other hints in between. So is he going through Samaria all this time? Is he going around it? Is he hanging around Galilee for a while because he was rejected, and then going to uh, what's he doing?
0: Excellent question. Let me let me try to take them one at a time. There's a Samaritan region between the northern Galilee region and Jerusalem down south. So if he's heading south from Galilee, uh, he is going to pass likely through heirs of Samaria, which is what I'd take the initial Samaritan village. We know from John's Gospel in John chapter 4 that Jesus had a very positive um, response in a Samaritan village with the woman um, by the well so we know that he was not uniformly rejected by the samaritans whether or not the three people on the road are samaritans or not i don't know they could be there's no reason they couldn't be Um, but luke's lack of identifying them and luke not even telling us how they respond we don't know if they well i'm not coming or if they return I think programmatically Luke's laying it out as Jesus is setting his face to go to Jerusalem and die. He's making the cost of discipleship clear. You want to follow me? You're not worried about these things. You're, you're not worried about whether or not you have a place to rest your head. You're coming after me. So I've, I think Luke intentionally leaves their identity ambiguous. He doesn't even tell us whether they listened or not. So could they be Samaritans? Maybe. To the degree that Jesus is going through Samaritan towns on his way to Jerusalem, he absolutely is sending the uh, 72 out. I mean, It says specifically in chapter 10, to every town he was about to go to. So if Jesus' path is about to go through Samaria, they're going there. If Jesus' path, now that brings us to your last question, what path does he take? He is meandering. As much as he's setting his face to Jerusalem, he is meandering. Because like you said, in chapter 17, he's up by Galilee again, you know. The other part of the problem is it's not entirely clear if Luke is chronologically li- listing his uh, his trip or if he's he's taking this ha- on the trip to Jerusalem. This happened, and on the trip to Jerusalem, this happened. There's no misinformation. He's just not intending to set it up chronologically. If the Mary and Martha we looked at this morning are the Mary and Martha from John's gospel who have a brother named Lazarus, and if he's at their home in Bethany, he just Teleported, you know, hundreds of miles just outside of Jerusalem. Now, maybe it's the different Mary and Martha, and maybe Mary and Martha and Lazarus owned multiple homes, but it could be that. Because I see thematically why he might start the journey in this section of the book with this, because it's a call for us to sit and hear what Jesus has to say. But try to, I mean, a lot of people have tried to trace Jesus' path. It's just, I have not come across a clear, he went here, then he went here, then he went here, then he went here. So the, the short answer is, I don't know if we can tell with any certainty what the sequential order is of where he goes. We certainly know in the next ten chapters it is not a beeline. It is not a straight line to Jerusalem by any stretch of the imagination. So did I deal with all your questions, or, or is that... Excellent, excellent observations, excellent observations. Um, next. Donna Thompson.
2: I just have a comment. Um, You stress so much of how important it is for us to do things with our heart and humbly. And I think, from my experience, a lot of Christians do things and then they don't... They're doing it because they think they have to because they're a Christian, maybe. Does that make sense? Sure. So I really appreciated you emphasizing that a lot mm-hmm. about doing things with your heart. And so I think we we all need to think about those things and do things from the heart more and because we really want to. And knowing that
0: Jesus wants us to do them is, is good too. But I think, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, the only tweak I'd, I'd make, Donna, is it's it's the heart in so much as a heart that is first fed on Christ's Word. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, all sorts of people, unbelievers can do things from their heart. The The one thing that's necessary before we go do the 50 other things is that we would feed and receive the meal Christ would give us from His Word. And if we'll do that, it'll guard us from anxiety. It'll guard us from doing other things for the wrong motives. Because we know from the New Testament, Christians can and should, in the Spirit of the Lord, wait tables and show hospitality. But they shouldn't be doing it, according to the first people. You're grumbling. They shouldn't be doing it in their own strength. So how we do those things matters. And so if the temptation is, i got so much food to make today, i got so much to prepare for, I don't have time to read my Bible, you're going to do all those things wrong, and you're going to spoil them. They won't be a blessing to you. They, you won't be a blessing to anyone else. No one was blessed by what Martha was doing there. So, so the whole point is, you can't skip over the most important thing. You've got to get your heart right with the Lord. You've got to draw near. And So the only tweak I'm giving to you is, is when you keep saying from your heart, you've got to do it from a heart that is feeding on Christ. That You've got to let God shape your heart and then go do stuff. Um, that's ab- No, absolutely. And the danger, and I'm, I'm a fix-it person. I'm a do, 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 do person. And it is very, I have to remind myself, and I fail at this constantly, because, you know, a problem comes up, okay, I know, what, I, I know what to do to fix it. Or things need to be done, okay, I'll go do it. And if I'm doing it, and it quickly comes out in my attitude, whether or not I have first drawn near as a worshiper of God to God to draw strength from Him. I mean, what it boils down to is, for me, for example, is self-confidence. I, I pray when I know I need to, right? I mean, that's, that's when the Lord gets our attention. Help! I can't deal with this. And so the times where I think I can deal with it is when I'm tempted to avoid... I, I, if I'm not aware, I desperately need God's Word and I desperately need prayer, then I'll be tempted to skip that because I can handle this. And, and that's, I think, the warning is, well, okay, I don't think those other things are going to work out so well for you. Does that, that, that make sense? Okay. Oh, sure, sure, that's for free. Um, yes! Yes! You get the with oh, a microphone there are people on the interwebs who want to hear
3: um i have i i guess my mother struggles with this a lot in yeah, yeah. from um the perspective of a daughter approaching yeah. a mother with this yeah. um what how would you advise um how to like bring up the fact i she gets so busied and um trying to take care of all of us still, <laughs> mm. that it takes away from her joy in, I guess, doing what she's doing. And I mean, she, she serves, and she gets joy from serving, but it becomes so mm. much for her.
0: OK. Is there um, a good
3: way to approach this to I'm a mother? Tr- I'm
0: trying to decide whether to grab the dog by the ears or not. So <laughs> you know that proverb, someone who en- engages in a quarrel that's not his own, and it's like someone who grabs a dog by the ears? okay um no no it's tough because you're a daughter right so you speak to her as a mother not as that like you're instructing her um i think there are a couple ways you could come at it I'd, I'd probably ask questions get her to tell you what her anxiety you see it but get her to say it and then you know you could even take her to first peter five the serving is to be done without grumbling it's to be done in the strength that god supplies you know mom I just if you're if you're if it's making you anxious if it's making you or um, even this passage the words troubled and anxious does that describe you as you're trying to do these things because it's not the way God like here's good news it's not as though God says be troubled and anxious because I have work for you to do he's got work for us to do but he doesn't want us to do it in a way that we're troubled and anxious and so here's good news for me you don't have to but until she identifies yeah I I am anxious and I am troubled. She probably won't think anything needs to change, so I'd probably start there, but I need to know a lot more details before I venture any further than that. Um, so you could always, you could always um, have her, uh, you know, listen to the, this morning's sermon or something. I don't know. Do I have a text question? Hold on. Hold on. Nope. Um, my family's sick. I'm not. For the person who asked me that. Yes. Um, we're getting all high-tech here. Oh, yes, Elsa. Specifically, oh, I know why you're asking. Specifically, Zadok. So, so um, yeah. Yes, Elsa. Here's a microphone.
3: Is it not correct to say, what, like she's saying a daughter to a mother, but if your mother is saved, in, in um, the body of Christ, you really are sisters in Christ? You can approach her there yeah, way? Yeah,
0: but go to 1 mm-hmm. Peter 5. I mean, 1 Timothy 5. You don't speak to everyone the same. right? So Paul tells Timothy to uh, speak to older men as fathers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity, younger men as brothers. So I don't speak to everyone the same. It's not like I've got my, here's how I talk to Christian speech. So um, there, I, I am to relate differently to different people in the body. And so it's, it's absolutely, so the assumption there is you're talking to an older woman differently than you're talking to a younger woman, differently than you're talking to a peer. Um, One of the things I tell my kids is one of the reasons why I demand that they put some sort of title to a person who's older than them, whether it be uncle or grandpa or mister, they're not your peer. And you will, in your speech, indicate you're aware of that. You will not speak to them as though they are a peer. It's a subtle way to show respect. And it's a subtle way for me to know that you know. That, you know you're not a peer and they can struggle with that at this age so it's always going to be aunt or Mrs. or Mr. or whatever you know what I mean um, so no, you don't speak to everyone the same. so in this, in one sense what is due is the same. if the Lord has given um, you insight to see a weakness in your mom, yes, you ought to try to show her that but the way you go about doing that is going to be different. so in one sense they're sisters we have the same responsibility to each other. How you go with that is going to be different. Otherwise, Paul's instruction in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2 is, is meaningless, those distinctions he makes. Now, push back if you don't buy this. I can see you're kind of like, hmm. Um, and I get that you're like the fearless like knocking the doors down else. I get it. Like, you know, um, you need to repent! Um,
3: no, and the reason why I'm asking that because uh, I had a conversation with my uh, charismatic sister-in-law mm. uh, and because her... Adult sons and, and uh, they living with a girlfriend, mm. and she said, "Well, she cannot speak to, and they are Christians, they mm. Christians. they go to church.
0: They profess Christ.
3: Right. And she said, "Well, she can't speak to him because he's an adult." And I said, "Hang on.") <laughs> <laughs> I okay. said to her, "You he's your." You can approach him as your brother in Christ mm-hmm. and reprimand him as the Bible tells us to so do. That, that you know, and go to him and say, "Hey, if you profess Christ, this is a sin, an unconfessed sin yeah. that you need to deal with."
0: This is rebellion. Because it's
3: a different relationship. It's yeah. not mommy coming to little yes. boy and saying... Yes. "You know."
0: So, so let me say this again. Our responsibilities and duties to one another are not altered or affected by our filialogical relationships. So it's not as though I don't do this because this is my actual mother. I don't do this because this is my actual sister. How I adorn my speech is going to play a factor. I'm going to talk to another man's wife differently than I'm going to talk to the husband. I'm going to talk to a child differently than I'm going to talk to a peer. I'll feel freer to simply tell a child what to do, not rudely, but like, stop doing that. If I talked to a peer that way, they might take offense, right? It's wholly appropriate. If I see a kid running around through the foyer, say, hey, slow down, stop doing that. I'm not mad, but I'm, I'm giving them a command, right? And as an adult and as someone who with some some authority here, it's, it's fitting. But if, if, I, uh, if I walked out there and somebody was talking during the ABF and said, hey, stop doing that, they'd be offended, right? Because I don't talk to them the same way. So my responsibility to each other doesn't change. You can't, you can't say, well, I know we should, but they're my father or mother or whatever. But how we do that, absolutely. That, so I, I'm with you. You can't claim family relationships as superseding christian relationships but they can inform the manner in which we interact and speak with people is that you with me there okay okay so i'm not so no i'm not i'm not trying to give any room for cover for that friend of yours don't don't you fear also she's fearless she's like, oh, in there okay well oh, no it makes perfect sense what did jesus say about his messengers how they, whoever receives you, receives me. Right, right. So, from what you're describing, your friend right now does not want to hear Christ's word. You're, you're. I'm trying to keep the, this is going online. okay? Um, your friend, your relation, um, doesn't want to obey Christ in this matter. Presumably, because they prize their earthly relationship more than their relationship with Christ. I would rather offend Jesus than offend my son and and his girlfriend, right? No, no, but this is a common problem people have. It's one of the reasons Jesus said, You can't be my disciple if you don't hate your mother, brother, father, sister, right? Like, he makes it clear. If you have to choose between me and your family, me. He's clear about that. Um, and, uh, and so, okay, this is a common struggle, and you can sympathize. That's what's going on. So, if she's rejected the Lord's word, how will she treat the Lord's messenger? If they call the master of the house Babel, what will they call you? Don't be surprised. I just had a friend of mine who uh, I made this who who announced some, some sin publicly, celebrating something the Bible condemns, and. I made the slightest of comments and I was erased, and this person won't talk to me anymore. But I mean, and it's sad, but I'm not surprised. I don't go, why? You know, I get it. Yeah, if you don't want to hear God's word, you're not going to want to talk to me. Um, in fact, I'd be worried if they did want to, talk to some degree, you know. Um, so, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, it's a shame. Oh, dear. Okay. Okay. Well, that's a whole other bucket of worms. Okay. So, to answer the question, yes, we, we have the same responsibility, but we answer different people differently. And that was a far reaching question, Elsa. Greg! Greg. This is perhaps me just wanting,
4: it might be me just wanting to avoid conflict between <laughs> Lindsay and her mom. But, oh, yes. It, it seems to me one, you could do it uh, You know, a couple of ways. One. You'd invite your mom to have uh, coffee with you and then explain yeah. all this to me. That would be a not as effective way to do it. Okay. The, a better way maybe is to in, involve myself in mom's. If yep. it's dinner preparation, make sure you're there, and and during that, yeah. Uh, then impart the wisdom. You know, well, remember, mom. This this isn't the important part of the the day the important part is the the you know the the things that we're doing and and honoring god at christmas and and, and right. so forth and so on and in part everything you're going to impart but do it as you're helping her make macaroni right. or whatever and easing her burden a little bit but just gently reminding right. her you know this if we don't get this done exactly at 12 you know no no big deal, or right. whatever, to try to relieve her anxiety over the whole thing.
0: Right. No, the, no, absolutely. That Greg's advice is great. Instead of just, hey, mom, I see a problem, if you're in there trying to help. I'm even just thinking for my own mother, as she's moving, and with the whole completion of this house, um, I, I, where I started from with you is, I, I've noticed times where it seems like it's become unnecessarily stressful, and I get the temptation for stress. But until my own mom, and there's just no chance, there's no, there's no danger she's going to listen to the podcast, so we're safe here. Um, but until she sees that, there's not much I can really do, right? So I just try to point out, Mom, you really, like, now I'm hoping if I'm, and it's not like it's a huge problem, but periodically from time to time, it, it's, it's really stressed around. I'm trying to, like, Mom, this doesn't need to be, I get how this is a problem, I get we need to do stuff, but um, I, I, I hate to see this tore up, and you don't need to be. And until until she sees that, or until she says, "Yeah, I can't do much else other than sort of try to," hey, you look like you really you look like this is really keeping you awake at night. And it, you know, whatever. So that's I guess where I'm getting at with that. But yeah, getting in there, helping, but helping her to see that. And then you've got good news. You don't have to be. It's not stop being because you tell someone who's anxious that they're sinning for being anxious, they just get more anxious, right? I mean, it's not it's not as helpful. Stop. You know, being anxious. But uh, it, it is a shame that people. Uh, what, what's the line from that hymn? Oh, what grief we often. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what grief we needless bear. Needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. There's a lot of truth in those old hymns, man. I'm telling you. Um, absolutely. Okay. Yes, Ron. Mr. Ludwig. Mad King Ludwig. Now you show, by the way, you showed me that, uh, that picture of the castle of King Ludwig. There's a board game called The uh, Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Uh,
5: King Crazy Ludwig. Crazy Ludwig. Yeah. Not mad, <clears throat> crazy. It's a
0: genetic thing
5: that we inherit.
0: Ron was telling me earlier he's got an excuse. He wants to know what yours is. Um,
5: I'm just genetically put together this way. Okay. So I have a natural excuse. Okay um, I had a situation with my own father, probably 20 some years ago when he was uh, in prison, he got saved, and uh, one of the things he continued to do was use god 's name in vain, and um, i didn 't have the courage to confront him personally, but was very burdened by God to do something and so God gave me another option, so I s- wrote him a letter. Oh because he was still in prison, mm. and used Scripture. And actually, it, it really allowed me to get my thoughts mm. more clearly together. Yeah. And um, I sent it to him, and he sent me a, uh, a great letter back thanking me because he just hadn't really... It was something he had done for yeah. 60-some yeah. years and never thought about it.
0: So. Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. No, that's, yeah, and, and thinking through those things, I mean, and, and, and that's really... Um, the, the biggest piece of advice I'd give you is, if you ask your heart, say, Lord, help me to find a wise, good way, God will give you wisdom. I mean, uh, and there is wisdom to it. The Proverbs talk about a word fitly spoken is like an apple of gold and settings of silver. And it's distinguishing between what you're delivering, the apple of gold, and delivery mechanism. I was once told by a professor that I had, like, apples of gold on, like, a dirty clay tray or something, Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, Like, the delivery was lacking. Um, so, uh... I don't know where this guy got that idea from, but (laughs) anyway, anyway, any other questions or thoughts? Oh, Lois.
2: Um, I'm thinking that the doing of something for the, doing of a service, Mm. we should do it with a a heart of appreciation to God. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm concerned that sometimes I get asked to do something that I automatically don't just say yes. I want to do that for the Lord. Right? Doesn't mean that I shouldn't do it. Right. If I'm if I'm offered if I'm asked to serve in some way, and right. I don't feel an an instant desire to do that, right? That doesn't mean that I shouldn't give it a try. Pray about it. Do it. And and um,
0: right. No, no. This this is something you get abused both ways. You can you can. There's two ditches, one on either side of the road. On the one hand, you've got the people who, um, I remember when I was at Master's College and every year they'd let the students take a week off to do service trips to local churches. They'd encourage the students to do that. And I remember somebody telling me very sanctimoniously that they didn't want to be a Pharisee and go because they didn't feel led to go. They didn't, like, like, wow, I'm very impressed. Um, and so, what are you doing with this week? Oh, you're playing video games for oh, the Lord. I see. Okay. Um, so, on the one hand, you've got people who, you know, if you press that too far in one way, um, well, if I don't feel like doing it, I'd be a Pharisee if I did it, so therefore I won't do it. Um, on the other hand, you've got the people who, uh, if you've ever read John Piper, John Piper really is pushing back against something he saw a lot of when he grew up. Um, something is more meritorious if you don't feel like doing it than if you do. And so there's almost this pride in, I have no desire at all to be nice to you, which is why God's so pleased that I am. (laughs) You know what I mean? No, but that's what it would boil down to, is um, the the really impressive Christian character. And there's a half-truth to this. There's a sense in which one hallmark of faith is doing the right thing even when everything in you says not to. There is a sense, there's, there's a half-truth to that. But they sort of boiled this down into a, it doesn't matter if your emotions are involved, doesn't matter if your affections are engaged, doesn't matter where your heart is, just do your duty. Right? And that starts, so you can see how ugly that starts to get. So both of those, I think, are errors. Um, we're told to serve one another, we're told to prefer one another, we're told to put a, others' interests in front of myself. So somebody asks me to do something I don't feel like doing, like helping them move. I mean, a few things are less pleasant than helping someone move. Um, But I remember, and the Spirit brings to mind, helping each other, viewing each other as more important. I know that when I was trying to get my mom to move, I was very eager to get people to volunteer. I know that I would like that if it were me. So what I can do is say yes, and then before I go help them move, spend some time in prayer getting my heart right. Lord, I don't want to help this person move. Honestly, I only said yes because I thought I should. I'd like to go help them with the right attitude, Lord. Could you? And that—that's the third option. Is neither doing it like a Pharisee nor I don't feel led to help you move right now. I'm sorry. Um, there is that third option of of spending some time confessing to the Lord. I ought to be happy to help my brother or sister, and I'm not. Lord, would you give me some grace and help? You know, and then try to do it in faith. Yes, Colleen.
5: Can you say no? Sure.
0: Sure. I, I think when you're dealing with urgent cases, there's more of a not really. I mean, because you got James on the one hand. You got James saying, Your brother or sister comes to you naked and hungry, and you say, Be warm. I'm, basically, I'm praying for you. And the assumption being you, you could help them. And he says, Your faith's dead, worthless. So when, when, when somebody, your brother or sister, is in urgent need, we don't have the freedom, I think, to say no. Um, exigent cases. Um, especially in this local body. I mean, it was differing levels of responsibility. So if I heard of a family in another, t- in Indianola at another church and their house burned down and they didn't have insurance and they're, you know, it's, it's cold out, I might announce it. And if people want to help, great. If that happened to a family in this body, we need to take care of them. It's not a, well, no one's, gosh, no one's feeling led to help them. Like no we in the same way that if you don 't care for your own household you're worse than an unbeliever it 's not well i just don 't feel led to feed my children, you know right, so I got varying levels of responsibility, and now, amongst the other um, side, you do have a freedom, so we 're told to love each other and we 're told to serve each other, but you have a freedom to decide how so you 're not free to not serve, but you are free to serve as you want right so which which people can wrestle with this freedom we have in Christ because um, you, it is non negotiable that you love. I mean, this, let me go back to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, the Good Samaritan is, I think, a perfect example of this. We can try to take the parable of the Good Samaritan and turn it into an ethical law. And I think we destroy it if we do that. So if you turn it into an ethical law, you are now obligated to love everyone, every single person you meet to the degree that that Samaritan loved the man beat on the side of the road. You're not going to be able to get to work, because you're going to see somebody on the side of the road. You're not going to be able to do anything, because that it is so lavish, it is so over the top. It's not simply, he helped him, he helped him, and went, stopped what he was doing, and he went out of his way, and he set up a line of credit, and you know what I mean? And, and if we turn this into a law, we'll start getting into debates of, OK, how many days of medical expenses must I pay for my neighbor, right? Um, The point of the parable is, rather than there being some grid or some set of rules by which neighborliness is established, and I can identify the neighbor, neighborliness, Jesus is saying, is established by action. You can become anyone's neighbor by acting like a neighbor to them. So this Samaritan, who the Jews would never have thought of as a neighbor, proved, that's Jesus' term, proved himself to be a neighbor by what he did. And there's a freedom, there's a volunteerism here. There's a freedom of, I can make this person my neighbor. How? By being a neighbor to them. So in the New Testament, and I was talking to Daniel about this, talking to uh, his brother Jacob about this, and this is something we been wrestle with. So are you saying then, we can just do whatever we want? Well, in a sense, yes. The New Testament will say, as you're loving, abound in love more and more and more and more. Yet I can't specifically come along next to you and command you to, to do virtually any act of love. Um, th- does that make any sense? So you're, what you're not free to do is not love. The New Testament says, Colleen, you must love other people, and you must increase in loving other people, and you must increase in serving other people. What I can't do is say, Colleen, you must love that person. You must serve that person. The, I can't do that. It's why there's all these ministries in the church, and I can't come along, you have to help in the water, or you have to do this. Like You need to serve the body. You do. And if you said, man, I'm not interested in serving the body, it would say something's wrong. But which way? I can't tell you how. Um, so except for cases of extreme urgency, which the New Testament does give us that, that one sort of exception, there is a freedom to who you want to love and how you want to love them and how you want to serve them. So in the same way, there's a, a freedom here of, yeah, you can say no. Certainly you can say no. Now, if it turns out you just don't like serving people, we have a problem. But, hey, I got plans that day. Or, <laughs> my pack's been killing me, honestly. I, I, You know what I mean? Sure. You know what I mean? Um, now, a, a bigger pattern of, yeah, Colleen doesn't help anybody would be a problem. But that specific case, sure, you can say no. Is that that work? Any, any, oh, Linda Chisholm.
2: Okay, back to this morning.
0: Back to this morning. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
2: Okay, so you were alluding to the fact that Mary and Martha were from a wealthy family, but yet wouldn't they, if they were that wealthy, wouldn't they have had servants to have been preparing the meal and doing all the things that she was trying to do?
0: What I said was if, if this is the Mary and Martha from John 11 and 12, then they've got money. Why? Because Mary pours expensive ointment on Jesus' feet and nard. It doesn't have to be them. If it is them, they've got some means. And here's a woman who can have her own house, which means either her husband's away, which I think is the least likely option, she's a widow or she's never been married. Um, So she's got enough money to own a home. Most women without men in this period would be much more destitute. So when I say she's got some financial means, I don't mean she's rich. I just mean she's she's a homeowner. She's a house manager without, apparently, a man around, which in that time period would indicate a certain amount of financial um, freedom. Does that make sense? So no, I'm not saying she's rich, but... But she's at least got this, if that makes... Th-
2: but it could also be that it's their parents' house who have passed away no, no, and they no, no, live no. there as no, no, a family. But, but
0: then it would be her, she, she inherited it. Oh, So, yeah, right. she, she may have received this, as likely as an inheritance, absolutely. I just mean, she's got enough means to be a hostess, to own a home, to, to invite people in and play host to them. So I'm not suggesting that she's lavishly wealthy or anything. Okay. Although, if it's the same Mary and Martha from John... To have that much nard lying around, that's you got some cash. Um, And to have your own tomb, Lazarus had his own tomb. Right. That's not cheap either. Um, So, but it may not be them. So I don't know. And
2: then also. Oh, she's got more. Oh well. Continuing on with that, we don't know because you know we're not told, but it could be that at that point when he rebuked her, she sat down and began to listen as well instead of going back to what she was doing.
0: No, no absolutely. And Luke's failure to tell us how the story ends, just like he doesn't tell us how the encounter ends with the lawyer, just like he doesn't tell us how the encounter ends with the three people who say they'll follow him, suggests... He's setting this up thematically for the reader to get the point. The point isn't about Martha, even. The point is what Jesus is showing, what's the important thing. And so he leaves off the unessential material. He doesn't tell us what Martha does or says next. He doesn't tell us what the lawyer does or says after Jesus corrects him. He doesn't even tell us what the three people who say they'll follow him do. That's not what Luke's after. Luke is setting up this section where he's going to have ten chapters of Jesus teaching, and he wants the theophilus to sit down, shut up, and listen. I think. To put it simply, pay attention. Don't be distracted. Listen to what Jesus is about to teach for the next ten chapters. I think that's why he puts it there and why he leaves the details out he leaves out.
2: But it seems like maybe they're familiar with him for her to go to him and just say that the way she did. It's possible.
0: Uh, Daniel, Daniel was asking me about this earlier in the week. I think it's less than likely. It's certainly possible. But here's why i don't think it's the case or why i'd argue i i i think all the contextual evidence would point against that one a certain woman named whose name is martha is not is a strange way to introduce someone jesus is familiar with he's already introduced back in chapter eight um the women who were traveling companions and this was the mary who seven demons were cast out of i mean if there's some history with her um Or this, even this was the the brother of the man Jesus raised from the dead. You know, even though John hasn't been written yet, there's none of that. Um, So it's just a certain woman, and in the context, Jesus. All we know is this: thirty-six pairs of men have gone out, and pass/fail were those men received in each town. Then Jesus moves out, and we're told they're going to where he's about to go. And he goes into the town, and someone receives him. I'm immediately assuming because the pair went out. So my, my, my thought of what the most simple or natural explanation... I mean, you're right, they could have known each other for years. That is entirely possible. In Luke's arrangement, we're told Jesus sends out the advance squad. We're told that if those people are received, they'll receive Jesus. Then Jesus goes into a town, and he's received. My initial thought is because the two witnesses, the two disciples went first, which means... They haven't known Jesus yet. That's just my. That, that's what. Oh, Alex wants to weigh in. Oh, then wait. But they could have known each other for years. It's possible. If they'd known each other for years, the lack of any description when Luke's done that in other places makes me go, "Really? Okay. I mean, it's possible." But given that he's introduced other people, like I'll just yeah, let me read it in in chapter eight. Um, the women who traveled with Jesus. He starts chapter 8 with uh, soon after he went through the villages and cities proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, also some women who had been healed of evil spirits. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, and Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others. So if this was someone with a history, he could have done exactly that here and laid that up. Doesn't mean there isn't one. It just... So the the introduction of her seems to strike me. There was a certain woman named Martha. Seems like new a new person to the story, but right. No, but no. She,
2: but she welcomed him in and immediately began to call him Lord without seeing any. You well, know. if
0: they'd already, if she'd received the message of the of the pair, wouldn't she now be a believer in the message of the kingdom? I mean, wasn't the message they're proclaiming the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God had come near to them. So if She had received and welcomed those messengers into her home. She would have had two of Jesus' disciples in her home for a number of days telling her about the Lord and Jesus, what he had done. And she would have received their proclamation of peace because she was a daughter of peace.
2: But there were many people who did that, those same things, that never called him Lord. They followed and they, you know, for a little while here and there, that sort of thing, and saw the miracles and all that, but they never went as far as to call him Lord.
0: Sure, no, it's, it's possible. I'm just given that this is the next event after sending the 36 pairs out, I'm just thinking that's the most that's the simplest answer. It could be something else. I can't prove that. I'm, I'm just saying it seems a sufficient answer. She had entertained a couple of disciples in her home for a couple of days while they were traveling. She heard about Jesus, she heard what she'd done. she'd come to faith, and then it would make sense that she'd welcome him into her home and call on the Lord. To me, that works. I can't prove that's what happened, but okay, Alex in the bayback. oh oh,
6: I was wondering if um why the servant who was doing the cooking and the dishes and the everything questioned God, I mean Be- Jesus
0: oh. Um, Jesus' identification of the problem is that she had become anxious and troubled because she had lost sight of the one thing that was necessary. And so, um, because we were already told she was distracted or literally drawn away from What
6: exactly was she distracted from?
0: The many things she had to do. so all of us can get up a day and know we've got we've got to, you know, do a number of things, have a number of things on our docket that day. And maybe
6: she was distracted from what he was talking about.
0: Well, Luke tells us Mary um Martha was distracted with much serving. So what was distracting her was hospitality, serving the guests in her home. So and distracted from listening. Because like I, like I said earlier, you don't, you're not... Distracted means you wanted to pay attention to something. If I, yeah. if, I go, if I go to Greg's house and he's got a football game on, I'm not distracted from it. I just don't care. Um, no, fair enough. I mean, no, and with anything else, right? I mean, you know, you're, you're walking in the, the store and the radio's on about something, but you don't care. You're not distracted from it. You're only distracted from something you were meaning to pay attention to. So she's distracted or drawn away... From something to the I much servant. I also serving.
6: wanted you. I'm um, tired. Hmm. This is no, no, kind of no. late. Um, but I was also wondering if you could pray for my brother.
0: Sure. What's his name?
6: His name is Noah.
0: Noah. And what do you want us to pray for? I can't, okay. Well, the Lord knows. We'll pray for, we'll pray for Noah. Um, let me pause and let's pray for Noah. And then we'll, we've got five minutes, we'll pick back up. Lord, I uh, just want to lift up Bennett's brother, Noah. Um, we don't know exactly what's wrong, but you do. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would give grace, that you would um, do what is right, and that you would um, use whatever's going on as an opportunity to draw him to you and draw him nearer to you. And in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Alex, you had a question? Oh, no, you were, you were flagging me for Bennett. Okay. Um, anything else? Anything else? Jeremy, you got one? Go. Uh, this is
7: just a quick one, but... Um, this is
0: the original Jeremy, <clears throat> by the way. As you yes. told me when I first came here.
7: That's right. <laughs> see, just it's, to it's, make sure you, your expectations were... I'm great. the
0: other Jeremy. He's original Jeremy. Correct. <laughs> oh,
7: I'm not. Anyway, uh, so I've heard the parable of the Good Samaritan for many, many, many years. Yeah. Never until just a couple weeks ago was it brought to my attention or, or did I notice that this isn't necessarily a Jew. Uh, it seems kind of likely because oh, yeah. the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans are yeah. talked about a bunch of times and it talks about the man leaving jerusalem to jericho so yep. but uh it's it seems kind of interesting that uh the narrative is is emphasized kind of as like the samaritan wouldn't have helped this person because he's a Jew when we don't know that that's true. I mean, does it change the story
0: at all? Oh, you know, I've I've heard people say that to make this modern day be the equivalent of a Palestinian helping a Jew in the Holy Land or back during segregation, um, uh, someone of color helping someone else. Um, It's striking to me that in a story where we know everyone's identity, we know the Samaritan's identity, we know the priest's identity, identity, we know the Levite's identity, a certain man. It's also striking to me that this lawyer is looking for the criteria to which to identify neighbor. And then all we know about this man is he's in need. So so I, I, I'm I, coming at it thinking that's intentional. It is intentional. He's the one guy we don't know who he is. I, Jesus, I will not tell you how to identify your neighbor. I will not put, do that. The fact that it's a Samaritan, he's We can assume, default, this might be a Jew. Um, Although I think if that was Jesus' main point, he would have told us this is a Jew. Certainly they would have assumed the Samaritans are the least likely to obey or exemplify the law. Because after all, they're those jerks who only read half the Bible, and they worship in different places, and they're cursed by God.
7: And the lawyer was Jewish, Right. Almost certainly. So the
0: lawyer almost certainly would have looked on contempt on the Samaritan. So he is. it would be like trying to find the person you'd least expect to do the right thing and putting them into the story. So the, that is, the Samaritan is significant that way. And sure, I guess we could default to this man probably is Jewish. I just don't want to make that the main point, the racial tension, when he's the one guy we're not told who he is. So I don't want to make that the, the main point. It, it could be a sub-point. I think the Samaritan. We know from Luke, and we know from other passages in the New Testament, what the Jews, especially the Jewish elite, thought of the Samaritans. They held them in contempt. These are these are the these are the those unfaithful, judged by God, cursed. I'll walk around. I mean, in a culture where you get everywhere by walking, to walk seventy miles out of your way simply so you don't get Samaritan dust on your feet.
7: (laughs) Well, emphasizing that the Jew Jewish Samaritan relationship. You you kind of land on you have to I mean the enemies well what the story may be just saying is help everybody I mean if you see someone who's in need help them yeah it, whether whether it's a friend or an enemy or anybody yeah. else it doesn't matter
0: be the type of person and that, but this is where I want to get back to law the striking difference in the Samaritan is he felt compassion he didn't consult the rule book it's not as though the Levite the priest, and the Samaritan all had the rules in front of them, but only the Samaritan followed the rules. When I made I made it briefly um, last week, but I talked about how law, the law was added because of transgressions, according to Galatians. So because the people are sinful, they need more laws. So everyone who has kids knows this. You, I'm sure you have more rules in your house than you did before you had kids. And as the kids find new and creative ways to do wrong things, new rules come into play, right? Um, And so you've got rules you never thought you'd need to have before. Um, And yet we hope, I hope, that one day my children will love each other, not because they're keeping the rules, but because it comes out of their heart. So the the point here is, you want to become the type of person who when they see people in need, have compassion, and they don't consult, well, is this my neighbor? Do I have to... That that's the the distinction. You're, love the person you feel compassion for, and be the type of person who's feeling compassion for more and more people. It, it's not that. That's what I'm trying to distinguish against. When I make this like some ethical law, if if you if he came across the if he came across the man wounded, had no compassion but thought, man, the I, the rules say I got to go help him. I, you got a very different parable. Ra- rather, Jesus is saying you wanna you wanna love. You wanna find your neighbor. Be the type of person who sees their neighbor in all sorts of unexpected and wonderful places. That, that's, it, I don't know if I'm not being clear or stressing it too much or too little, but I'm just trying to avoid this becoming some new ethic, some new thing, as opposed to. Because I mean, Jesus t- first takes him to the law, right? So what's your reading of the law? Who's my neighbor? He does not take him to the law. I, I think, if I could, and I'll close with this because we're out of time. I think let me just tell you a story in what what the person does is so wonderful and beautiful, it's self-evidently good. You know, when you see like a heroic story of someone you know running into the burning building and carrying out somebody or whatever you, or it's just something like, "I don't need to defend this as good. Let me tell you this story. And do you see the goodness? Do you see the beauty? Do you see the wonderfulness in this? Yeah. We still don't know whether that guy was his neighbor or not, because we don't know who he was. Did the guy prove to be a neighbor? Yeah. Do that. Go, don't worry about who's my neighbor. Go be a neighbor. You know, um, Something like that. Does, that. does that make sense? I'm just trying to stress that Jesus is not playing the game of the lawyer does not leave with an answer. Now I know how to identify my neighbor.
7: <laughs>
0: right, right, right. Rather, it's something like you, you make someone your neighbor when you act neighborly towards them. And, and there's an implication here, but this social divide, you can make anyone your neighbor. So anyway, we got a break. It's, it's half past. I'll stick around for a few minutes if you have any other questions. Have a blessed new year. Yes, Simeon. Oh, microphone.
4: Didn't the Samaritans also hold to the same law as the Jews, like because they held to the books of Moses. So they have the same law. So but they there's... don't
0: have the prophets. Because if, if, but, if you are, but they oh. live
4: by the law, so they all are living by the same law, aren't they? Wouldn't they claim the same law, so they would technically have yeah. the same basis for everything?
0: Yes and no. Moses talks about, you will go up three times a year to the place the Lord your God chooses, in Deuteronomy 18, no mm-hmm. 16, 16 16. Um, now, because they're still wandering when Moses writes them, they can't say Jerusalem. But it quickly becomes clear where that is. Mm -hmm. That's the whole debate that the woman at the well brings up with Jesus. Your people say to worship on Mount Zion, we worship on Mount Gerizim, who's right? So there's a sense in which you can't argue they're both doing the same thing. They make a golden bowl to worship. Um, It basically falls out when um, Solomon's son, Jeroboam, and Rehoboam Um, because Solomon's son's a punk and and the kingdom splits in half and then God sends a man of God to to Rehoboam in the north and says look if you'll just be faithful and, and keep the law I'll make a dynasty for you I'll bless you but he's afraid because the people are supposed to go to Jerusalem three times a year and so he thinks if they do that over time their hearts will return to the Davidic line so he makes an alternate site of worship he makes because he's now got no altar he's got no ark he's so he's got to have some new stuff. So he makes big bulls out of brass, I believe. Um, and so, so, yeah, there's a sense in which they got the same foundation. There's another sense in which things are totally different.
4: Yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah, I'm saying, yeah. like, for basics.
0: Yeah, but the basic, like, Ten Commandments, and stuff, yeah, yeah, they got like, the same thing, like, yeah. But where in so the Ten Commandments do you read to love your neighbors yourself? So, I mean, I'm just saying, and, and we've already seen with this lawyer, his whole goal is to limit the people he needs to love. Make that circle as small as possible. So, yeah, they got the same law, but as we've seen, you can read the law in clever, creative ways to minimize what you need to do. So, anyway, on that note, we will break. God bless.